0: Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast, a weekly look at some of our biggest stories on women's agenda and the issues that have got people talking. And I'm here in the studio with Georgie Danta, contributing editor on Women's Agenda. How are you, Georgie? I'm good, thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. This is our first episode of 2020, and we've done different versions of the podcast along the way. So this is kind of, I think we can call it season three.
1: Yeah, I think third so. Third
0: year. We're trying to get back in the swing of things. I've had uh, quite a bit of parental leave. I've been on and off over the past year, and I'm trying to get back into more uh, regular working habits, which is not always easy, but happening. And what about you, Georgie?
1: Yes, I. You've had uh, a lot
0: on yourself.
1: I ha- yeah, I think last year was quite busy for both of us, a really. New book. On a different. Yes, you yeah. had a new baby. I haven't had any more children, uh, but a new book kept me quite busy yes um but also I think it would be fair to say we have been quite busy here too and you have been even though you've been on parental leave you have been working
0: yeah and I mean it has been really busy here yet it just doesn't really slow down if Mm. anything 2019 was one of our biggest years on women's agenda which I thought would be unlikely given a lot of the things that happened the years before but it just goes to show that there's plenty to cover Mm. in this space Sometimes badly. fortunately, but then mm. oftentimes unfortunately too. Mm. Um, so, well, this year we are going to have a couple of different cohorts, Our co-hosts join us on the podcast. So there'll be us. Um, also, I'm really excited to announce that Shivani Gopal will be joining in, um, and Shivani is um, a highly sought after media commentator. You may have seen her on; she's often on the Today Show. She's often on the Drum and various other places. Um, She spent years in the corporate world and is now an entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of The Remarkable Woman and also the co-founder and CEO of Upstreet, which is a new app enabling you to earn shares as you shop, which I'm really intrigued about. But we'll get to know Shivani a little bit more next week when she joins us. We'll also have Women's Agenda publisher Tyler Tyler Lambert with us at different points. Possibly with her brand new baby as well because that's how we like to run this business, one baby at a time. (laughs) And uh, for today it's Georgie and I um, and we'll touch base with uh, Christina Zuikar a little later on because we want to talk about a piece of hers that we've just published addressing some of the victim blaming and well, really truly atrocious comments that Harvey Weinstein's lawyer has made to the New York Times. But today, I mean, we're almost midway through February and it feels like 2020 should well and truly be over by now. Mm. It has been a long and very challenging start to the year for many people across Australia. It's been quite a sad time. It's been um, a disappointing time. It's felt hopeless at points as well. Um, But we wanted to just spend a bit of time looking at some of the bright spots just to think about, just to try and retain some optimism and to really think where we've actually seen some really great um, female leadership internationally, um, leading on some awesome new initiatives, um, also locally here as well. So with that, I think we'll probably do a bit of a round-the-world trip. We'll go to uh, Finland, we'll maybe New Zealand, we can't really go past New Zealand, and back here in Australia as well. So starting with Finland, Georgie, Mm. towards the end of last year, um, we heard about... This new 34-year-old Prime Minister, mm. talk us through what happened there and the fact that they had this female leadership pretty much across all parties of that coalition.
1: Yes, yeah, so Sanna Marin, who is a, um, she is 34, she's been a politician. Um, I think she first came into the um, Finland's parliament when she was 27. So even though she's young, she's not a total novice. Um, and she was elected to become the Prime Minister um, because of a coalition of a number of smaller parties and all of those parties are led by women. Um, And so when – I mean, the photos of her and her leadership team made international headlines just because it is so different from the images of world leaders we're accustomed to seeing. Um, They're all young females. Uh, And she has uh, been in the news again just recently because Finland has introduced a new very generous parental leave program that means mothers and fathers' um, parents are in, or each entitled to seven months of paid leave um, upon a baby being born. And, I mean... If you think about that from the Australian perspective, just, you can't. It's, it's just not amazing. Even I just we can't even imagine
0: what a what a cultural shift that would create.
1: Yes, and I think it is worth noting that in Finland, they're not coming from the very very low base that we are coming from. So they have had generous um, parental leave policies, as the Scandinavian countries are sort of famous for having. Um, but this is, you know, Sanna Marin uh, said very clearly that, that the reason that she wanted it. Um, to introduce this policy was to to encourage equity at home um, and make sure that as many dads take leave as as mothers do. Um, And I think that it is just one of those incidents where you think, wow, it is possible to do things differently and there are countries and there are leaders who who do tackle these problems differently.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, with that as well, I saw that, I mean, single parents can can get the full almost 14 14 months months or so of that. Yep. Um, and I think – does that make it the most generous in the world now? And it's it's not as generous as Sweden. So what – what do, do you know – I think Sweden, what, 400 days or something? Yes. Although I could be wrong on that, but – Yeah, I think Sweden is
1: closer to having two years in total, um, whereas this is, you know, 14 months in total. It's very – it is very, very generous, but it is not quite – Sweden is still ahead um, a little bit. I think also – uh, the young prime minister is from what she would describe as a rainbow family. So she she had a mother and a father, but they separated when she was quite young. And her mum has got a female partner. And she, that's the other thing with this pr- policy that she has said is she wants it to apply to all different family units, however they're made up, whether that is same-sex parents, whether it is a single parent, um, or a mother and a father, whatever arrangement. She wants them um, those households to be able to access this sort of policy.
0: Yeah. So in australia we are not really anywhere close to this no um just a long way away so at the moment um we have the 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 dad and partner pay which is at two weeks two weeks at minimum wage and we've also seen the stats on that that only i mean i don't think it's even half of fathers are even taking it No, no. It could be a third or so, only a third or so actually taking...
1: Yeah, and I think part of that, because the government provided um, dad and partner pay, is, 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 is all fathers are entitled to it, but you have to apply for it. And because the numbers here are so low, I think it's more... I would like to think that more dads do actually take at least two weeks when a baby is born, and I think we know that. But they're not necessarily applying for the government pay... Um, for those two weeks, and I would suggest the reason for that is because, A, in financial terms, it ends up not being very much money and the paperwork to get that is is quite exhaustive, so I think that's one of the reasons. But in terms of um, employers providing um, or in terms of dads taking extended periods of leave, we know that only 5% of dads take an extended period of time. Um, And in the Scandinavian countries, that's very different. It's not quite 50%. um, you know, between men and women, but it's much higher than five percent of dads.
0: And in the I mean we've heard the stories of the um there's a term I think they're called the latte dads uh in Sweden where you'll often see groups of men with prams going for coffees during the day and it's quite it has been a huge cultural shift to see that happening. Yeah. Um, But I mean here locally we are I mean we're increasingly seeing I know on women's agenda uh, pretty much every week we're starting to get people sending emails through, we're getting press releases, we're hearing from different organisations, small than large, about what they're doing to try and address paid parental leave internally and where they're often removing things like... uh, uh, primary and secondary labels to make sure that the paid parental leave that they do offer is available basically to anyone who brings a new child into their life, whether mm. they're male or female, mm. um, regardless of their, their their status as a couple, whether they're adopting or not. So it's great to see these progressives being done by organisations um, and, I mean, hopefully we can get it on our agenda at some point to talk at the uh, the political level as well. And Yeah, well, hmm. uh, look,
1: I think it is worth saying that you know, in in Australia, when we first had um, paid maternity leave, it was led by corporates. Mm. So Westpac was, you know, quite famously brought it in, and then another of um, a number of companies followed suit. And then once there was enough of those, that was when government stepped in and, um, and started providing paid parental leave. So I think that it is positive that we are seeing a number of corporates leading in this space because. Um, historically that has led to government action. It would be ideal if we did have um, action from both government and industry in mm. this, but I think um, it's, it's certainly been one of the bright spots to see organisations really explicitly, intentionally in introducing policies to create a level playing field at home so that then they rec- recognise the dynamic at work will become easier. The other part of that I love is that when we do write those stories, they
0: do really, really well, and Everyone we see so reading people them. love reading those stories. Mm. So, um, I think it also goes to show that if you're a corporate, there is there is something to be gained from really publicizing these efforts, from making um, making an issue of them, making a song and dance, and making sure making those announcements to staff, ensuring that they understand exactly what they're entitled to, and um, they can go and ask for making it very culturally normal to ask for those things as well
1: yes and also one of the other huge benefits for corporates um that some of these organizations that have introduced these policies for sort of a year or 18 months are seeing is that the number of applicants they receive for jobs now is has has increased significantly and so Mm. in terms of um, if you are an employer seeking talent it's a very smart area to be investing in Okay, so moving on now,
0: other bright spots. So, um, I mean, the bar might be pretty low. <laughs> but um, we've noticed – we're hearing mentions of climate change, um, talk of climate change, of climate action, of um, from, from the coalition. We're hearing it being discussed in parliament. We're hearing from – um i I guess what you might describe as moderate uh liberals uh, talking out Mm. about their party um it was great to see even from uh well from you know the minister for industry and science uh karen andrews a couple of weeks back you know go out and make the point that she doesn't want to sit around debating the science of whether um, Mm. this is happening or not we need to get on it we've wasted too much time on this already um so i'm that makes me feel a little bit more optimistic but also, is that we've seen uh, the uh, independent MP for Warringah, Zali Stegel, come out with this new bill, which mm. I think is really exciting. It's it's a climate action bill. She wants us to. It basically provides a roadmap for Australia to get to um, carbon neutral by 2050, um, and a lot of pieces that will get us there within that as well. I'm not sure that it will pass. I think obviously that's a really hard ask. But I think the key thing is here that it is starting a conversation, a much-needed conversation mm. that can hopefully or well, we, potentially um, drown out some of the mat caravans of the world who mm. are talking caravans, I should say. <laughs> oh, I'm slipping on all my words. But um, that we, we can start really talking about action and things that we can do to mm. make a difference here at the national level.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, it sounds... Um Flippant to even say that there could be anything remotely positive to come out from the devastating um, bushfires that have destroyed so much um, wildlife, parts of the environment, homes, lives. You know, it it is dev- it has been devastating. I think it has also focused more minds on on this on the issue of how we manage climate um, because I think the extreme weather conditions that we're experiencing just cannot be ignored any longer. And I think that in terms of bright spots, I think looking at the community spirit that has sort of come come about, um, that has been evident through those disasters in terms of people's generosity and willingness to help and all of those types of things. But I think also at a, at a broader level there is now, I think, a greater appetite than ever before to start tackling this issue. And, I mean, it's it's a decade too late. It's decades too late. But we can't change Australia's political history uh, till this point. And I think what's really promising about Zali Stegall's proposal is that she is not prescribing a mechanism. She is saying, let's work towards creating a mechanism that we can agree on. Because the issue is we've got to reduce emissions. How do we do it is the next part. And I think that... I, see there, I think there is an opportunity at the moment for, for bipartisanship um, on this issue just because we are seeing more voices from across the political spectrum speaking out and saying, you know, I mean, even the Liberal MP Trent Zimmerman mm-hmm. recently came out and said, you know, we really need to be um, coming away from coal, um, which is quite radical from the Liberal Party. I mean, it's it seems crazy to even say that, but it is. And so I am hopeful that perhaps um, as an effective independent... Um, with the support of the other crossbenchers, Zali might be able to champion this process and work towards a piece of legislation that'll help.
0: I agree. I mean, and I think that we've seen... I mean, even the conversation shift possibly with um, the Liberal Party, seeing that this bill might be coming, even, you know, we are hearing talk about... um, Even some of the most unlikely people suggesting that, yes, we can work towards this deadline, this timeline of... Um, making this this happen by 2050, um, I think it's going to be a tough ask. But I, mm, I just like that mm. it is shaping a conversation that is making sure that we are still talking about this because we saw, particularly you know, a few particularly as those devastating bushfires were occurring and the weeks after, we saw this groundswell of support. We've seen the international community really come to this and and look at Australia and think, what is going on there? Why aren't mm. they having a bigger conversation about climate change? And with that, I mean. My biggest fear was that, you know, you get all this momentum and it's quickly lost as as the news agenda moves on because things can quickly – I mean, uh, it's going to take us a long time to recover from what's happened over this summer mm. but it is quite easy. You can see how the, the news agenda moves on, how mm. quickly social media moves on, how um, all, all, all the posts about wanting to do more and wanting to really – throw everything at this and all the passion that was generated, that starts to ease off a little bit. So I like that this keeps it top of mind. Mm. I hope we can keep it top of mind um, as we continue through some of the other challenges that 2020 is throwing at us as well, as we can see with coronavirus and, Mm. you know, what our economy might look like in the next few months. But Mm. we do absolutely need to keep this top of mind. So another bright spot there. We also see other um, international leaders, particularly women, really – um, I mean, Angela Merkel is a great example of somebody mm. who's long been uh, talking about climate change even as far back as 2007 she was really trying to lobby for action for the G8 level she's faced plenty of challenges along the way but she's somebody who is keeping it front of mind in her, mm. her final, final um, months and years in office um, I want to mention Jacinda Ardern. Mm. She's facing a general election this year, mm. which can be a hard thought to stomach as well, but because um, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a guarantee that we'll see her elected again, yeah. um, particularly in that she is part of a coalition government herself. Um, but, you know, towards the end of last year, Jacinda Ardern also, I mean, she gave quite a stirring speech to Parliament talking about what New Zealand and the action New Zealand would take on climate change and she declared that they would not be on the wrong side of history. So, a few bright spots there. Other things we've reported on over the last couple of weeks that might be worth noting comes back to employers again Uh and I've been pleased to see where employers have um, done things like offered additional... Uh, days of leave so that staff can take some time off to go and visit bushfire affected communities. Mm. Um, even where staff have been offered um, bonuses of you know a thousand, two thousand dollars to go and spend in bushfire affected communities as mm. well. It's just it's nice to see these small things that people can do that organisations can do to to really help. Mm. I,
1: I I agree, and I think that. Um the, the sort of innovative ways that businesses are looking at how they can you know improve um, quite a dire situation. I think it's I, th- I think it's really positive because obviously we saw in the midst of the um, bushfires, donations of money were obviously sort of the front and center, and that's really important because obviously that's what they need. But I think there has been a real um, awareness and understanding that for the communities that have been affected, it's not just ring fence to what happened in December or January you know the for the, for the businesses for the tourism operators um, for everyone in those places having people to still come and visit and spend money is critical so I think that um, employers trying to tap into that and facilitate that with the power of their workforces is is terrific
0: yeah yeah absolutely and it's it's going to be needed for for months to come for years to come mm. Okay, so we are going to cross over to Christina Zewicka. Georgie is about to get on the phone with her, so we want to talk about this Harvey Weinstein piece that she's done talking about uh, Weinstein's lawyer and her interesting comments. Okay, but before we do get to Christina, we do just want to talk. Each week we are going to end on what's on our mind for the week and we'll pass to each of us who happens to be in the studio at the time. So Georgie... What's on your mind? We did discuss this a little bit earlier, and I know
1: that you're halfway through this story, so that's very much on your mind. Yes, it is. So, what I've been thinking is, um, news broke uh, this week that the chef and former Master he- Master Chef host George Columbaris, um his business has gone into administration. Um, he ha- he obviously was at the centre of quite a big consp- um, controversy at the end of last year, where he it was revealed that he had um, underpaid staff. Um, to the tunes of multiple millions of dollars. Um, And he was fined for that. But what is interesting is that it's been reported that one of the reasons that all of the restaurants um, in his empire, basically except for one chain of frozen yoghurt stores, um, the foot traffic in all of those businesses is down by 50% since the underpayment scandal broke. And while I would never... um, Sort of wish or hope for anyone's business to go under because I think there are hundreds of people now without a job, without having had any notice of those things. It's you know it's that's not a scenario you'd wish on anyone. But I did think it is a reminder that as individuals we do have power, and obviously for a lot of Australians they decided that a business that isn't going to pay its staff fairly and legally is not a business they want to spend their money at, and. I think that on the one hand, that is very sad for the people who are working in those businesses, Um, but I think it's a good reminder that as individuals, we do have more power than we imagine. And I think it's the thing I've started to think about is what are the other areas where we can individually create a bigger movement around what we're happy with? You know, for example, if if investing in renewable energy is something that is really important Mm. as Australians, then... Let's look at our super funds. What are, what are they doing? Because we, you know, f- for any working Australian, we have got a super fund. Um, and I think it's, it's useful to kind of think about how we can influence outcomes because when we act together, we are actually far more powerful than on our own. With? I mean, with the
0: example that you mentioned there as well, there was no sort of – there was no social media effort or anything that came together to make that happen, was there? There was no kind of boycott thing that occurred or – No, I mean, there was
1: certainly – at the time of that scandal, there was a lot of – a lot of negative talk, aware talk was on, on social media and yeah. a lot of people were quite horrified. Um, and, of course, it's not the only business that has been found guilty of these sorts of systemic underpayments. I mean, even Woolworths had its own scandal there. Um, but I think, f- for whatever reason, this struck a chord um, with consumers who, thought, who clearly thought... I mean, the administrators have confirmed that foot, pa- foot traffic halving to these restaurants was ultimately behind the businesses Mm. folding Um, and yet it goes to show that even without a sort of concerted campaign individuals can have consequences if they come together.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is on my mind as well, um, and in and particularly in terms of the superannuation funds. Um, mm. And that is poss- probably, I mean, when it comes to how you use your money and how you can use your wallet to affect change, that's one of the fastest ways to do it because you don't have to have the savings in your bank account. You don't have to necessarily be spending the money to mm. make the difference. But mm. that could be just going and have a think about your 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 super where it's going. If you need to change funds, if you need to talk to someone at your fund specifically about where your money is being invested, it is a really fast and easy way mm. to, to make a, a solid difference. Um, I mean, I was thinking about it in the context of um, going back to the bushfire crisis and um, in the, the, the chat about climate change as well um, is where you get your media mm. also. And I think we started to see a little bit more – talk about the Murdoch press as well and how they spin some stories and to try and think about how you can even put pressure on those publications as well to, to, to do a little bit better, to think about some mm. of the columnists that they're using and mm. repeatedly going to. So that's another way and I think we start to see campaigns around mm. that and a lot more awareness of um, some of the headlines occurring in those papers and mm. um, it, interestingly – it was also international media that came to discuss that and there's been a lot of great pieces on the New York Times that mm. have um, looked at how the, the Murdoch press is um, influencing
1: the climate debate in Australia, which you might want to go and check out. But, yeah. um, and, of course, even James Murdoch himself oh, earlier yeah. this year came out um, and made quite a strong statement um, against the rhetoric that he has seen and that was um, pretty significant given the family yeah. If only it had been the other brother. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. maybe Yeah. I know.
0: Um, so now to our chat with Christina.
1: So, Christina, today on Women's Agenda, um, we have a brilliant piece that you have written um, on the comments that were made by Harvey Weinstein's criminal defence lawyer, uh, Donna Rattuno. Um, she was speaking on the New York Times... Uh, podcast, The Daily, last week um, with Megan Tui, and she made the comments that she had never been sexually assaulted because she had never put herself in a position where that could happen. What was she
2: thinking? That is a very good question. I think when I, I first heard about the interview before I listened to it myself, and of course the those comments were precisely the ones that grabbed the headline, and... Um, garnered a lot of deserved criticism, well, deserved criticism, because it's quite classic victim blaming. But then I went back and I listened to and listened to it again. And I thought to myself, yes, there is that. um, But there's actually a lot more going on here. And I don't think uh, that it's, it's an accident. I think that she's got a very clear agenda to prosecute her case. She really wants, I believe for the sexual assault case against Harvey Weinstein to serve as a referendum on Me Too. And she's very interested in trying the case in the so-called Court of Public Opinion, where many critics have said many of these perpetrators are a subject to that court without quote-unquote due process. But she seems quite interested in that court um, and that court of public opinion. And I think she's got a far more sinister agenda, in my view, than just simply um, as if that's not enough. Um, you know, deferring or, or using classic victim-blaming tropes. I think that she... Really wants um, the public or to prosecute this argument is kind of v- very classic, but it, it's manifesting in new forms. Argument that there's a difference between "quote unquote" wheel rape, which is this um, you know notion of the, the bogeyman behind the bushes who jumps out and you know has a weapon, and the woman valiantly fights off his his attempts, and um, in an ideal scenario, sustains injuries in the process. And then there's there's other things that happen and those are somehow less important, less serious. And I think that that's the case that she's she's trying to make and I think she's not alone in that. But if she's allowed to succeed and, and the court of, a, of public opinion gives credence or value to that that line of thinking, I think we, we might have some, some real problems.
1: Yeah, I, I've, I the other thing that I – when I was reading your piece and when I was thinking about the comments – that she made and and when I was reflecting on the conduct that has been revealed about Harvey Weinstein, I thought it is a really clever strategy from her, um, from the legal team, because it really plays into this idea that, you know, consent can be so difficult for these poor men to ascertain. You know, that, that there is this grey area between, oh, I thought she was interested, but she actually wasn't. When, if you actually look into all of the explicit details of situations that um, Harvey Weinstein has been accused of, there's nothing grey about his conduct.
2: Yes, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, in my opinion, and I think I've written about this before and I touched upon it in the piece that I wrote today, this kind of myth of the confused man. I think is one of the most pernicious myths of the Me Tube backlash. Mm. And you see that coming to the fore in this kind of gray rape defense. Because the concept of gray rape is something that's been around since about 2007, when a Cosmo piece came out called A New Kind of Date Rape. And that really suggested that there is this, Kind of confusion in, in modern um, sexual interactions because women are now, because of the sexual revolution, women now have sexual agency, right? So um, they can initiate sex, they, can, they have sexual freedom, but poor men who have been traditionally you know, operating in a, di- a different set of circumstances where women were seen to be the gatekeepers, don't know what to do with these modern women flashing their, you know, modern sexual wares in front of them. And there's this assumption that they just don't have an off switch and they don't know what to do with that. And, I, I think that, that that's not actually borne out in fact in what's actually happening in, these, in, in workplaces and I would argue in Harvey Weinstein situation because we know from Australian Human Rights Commission survey of sexual harassment that half of people who experience sexual harassment in the workplace consider this type of behavior common and two in five were aware of someone else in the workplace being harassed in the same way by the same perpetrator. So this isn't something that these men are stumbling into because they're confused and there's this gray area and they don't know how to navigate this new sexual landscape. And it's certainly not something that they're stumbling into because of you know, a one-off I had a little bit too much to drink at the Christmas party and got a bit handsy kind of experience. But the likes of Retuno who has made a career out of defending um, quite successfully uh, those accused of rape, they would like the broader public consciousness to believe that there is this grey area because that makes it much easier for them to do their job.
1: Mm. And I think um, you're right when you say pernicious is the right word um, for, for sort of peddling this this narrative and this myth. Um, Christina, thank you so much for uh, writing your piece today and um, for
2: stopping by to have a chat. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me.